Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting, and also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 47, Turkey Guns, Patterning, and Hunting with Wayne Fears. I am your host and the 6th grade spelling bee champion of Chalkwell Elementary School, class of 1982. We are 23 hours, 4 minutes, 6 seconds away from the second alligator season in Alabama. So, the first three nights of the alligator season in Alabama were pretty interesting. This is much unlike anything I've ever done before. First of all, legal hunting hours are from 8 p.m. until 6 a.m. And secondly, we're hunting on the river and in sloughs. So, I'm in a boat at 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning on a big river running a spotlight looking for eyeballs of floating alligators while barges come by with their huge wakes and it's really pretty interesting. The very first night of the hunt we were late getting out and I mean very late. Part of this goes back to emphasize last week's show in that being prepared can really help you achieve your goal of taking whatever animal it is that you're hunting. In last week I was very unprepared. Still I'd spent so much time trying to get prepared for the hunt, and when it came down to time to leave the house, still realized that I didn't have everything that I need, and so we ended up getting on the water at about 2.30 Friday morning, when I had planned on being in the water around 10 o'clock Thursday night. So once we got on the water, we saw an alligator right away. We checked it. It was a small gator. And we scanned around with the light and saw several more sets of eyes. So we checked those. One of those sets of eyes, every time we would get close to the alligator to see the head on the gator so we could kind of judge how big it was, the alligator would go down underwater. So me being the expert alligator hunter that I am, and that's a joke because I've never done this before, as I just mentioned, I made the recommendation that we turn off all of the lights on the boat and we sit very still so that we're not making any ripples in the water and we be very quiet and we just wait until that alligator shows up. And there was enough light in this slough from some of the houses on the lake to where we could actually see if the alligator popped back up in the spot that he kept going down in. 
So as we're sitting there in the water, floating and waiting for a few minutes, my stepson Chris says, there's an alligator. And I turn around and I look at him to see for him to give me some sort of an indication of where the alligator is. And I see he's looking right beside the boat. Well, about 10 feet from the edge of the boat is a big alligator. I don't know how big it is, but I know that the girth on this thing had to be six, seven feet around. It was a big alligator. So I told him to grab the rod and reel and cast out with the snatch hook over the top of the alligator, which he did. And I'll be dang if he didn't snag him. Well, when he gets the hook in the alligator, the alligator went under for just half a second and came back up and is still swimming. Well, when the alligator took all the slack out of the line and felt the resistance, the alligator really started pulling and started to fight. And at that point, the alligator made a run and the line broke. So within an hour of being on the water, we had hooked into what I'm going to guess is an eight or nine foot alligator but has a lot of girth to it. Probably a very heavy gator. We never turned the spotlight on that alligator, so I don't know exactly how big it was, but I do know that this weekend we're going back after him. Now the rest of the weekend of hunting, we never saw an alligator that was over six to seven feet long. And I'm really looking for a gator that's eight feet plus. Yes, I'd love to kill a 12 footer, but I'd be very happy with an eight foot alligator that's got some girth on it. I think that would make a tremendous trophy and give us lots of gator meat as well. So we're gonna get back after it this weekend in search of that eight plus foot gator and hopefully we'll have a good story for you next week where we can talk about how I've got a freezer full of alligator meat. That's enough about alligator hunting for this week because we are 208 days eight hours, 47 minutes, and 23 seconds away from opening day of turkey season in Alabama. Before I get into the interview for this week, I want to take a minute to thank W.I. Muskie Hunter, Wisconsin Muskie Hunter, who left a review on iTunes. He says, five stars, best turkey info out there. Great show, Andy. Love the wide range of shows and the great tips. Always learn something new, even as a veteran turkey hunter. Keep it up. Wisconsin Muskie Hunter, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking time to leave the review for me. I'll encourage all of you guys who have not left a review to please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a review for the show. And doing so through the end of August will enter you in a drawing to win a Turkey Hunter Podcast t-shirt. And while you're at iTunes, go ahead and subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Subscribing to the show does not cost a dime and you'll be sure to get notification of the most recent episodes when they are uploaded. So let's get right into today's show. I've been wanting for a while to do a show on patterning guns, shooting and hunting and tying all of that in together because it really is so very important for us to pattern our shotguns before we go into the turkey woods each year or if we have to change shells during the year. Even going from a number six shell to a number five shell because your favorite sporting goods store is out of number sixes that you always shoot. Same brand, you're just changing the shot size. Those types of things have an effect on how you shoot and how effective you are when you're in the woods. 
and so I wanted to get an expert in here to talk to us about that and Jay Wayne Fears is an expert when it comes to shooting. Wayne grew up trapping and hunting and fishing. He graduated from Auburn University as a wildlife biologist and then he got his master's degree from the University of Georgia. Basically his whole career he's been in the outdoors industry whether that's as a wildlife biologist and enforcement officer working for Gulf States Paper Corporation back in the day or developing Westervelt Hunting Lodge as well as big game hunting operations in Colorado, Alaska, and British Columbia. Wayne has had over 5,800 magazine articles and 29 books published. He's often a guest on popular outdoor TV programs and is a frequent speaker at outdoor events as well. A lot of you may know Wayne as being a shooting columnist for Turkey Country Magazine, where he has an article published in each one of those magazines. I'll tell you a quick story about Wayne. I have a friend who did a lot of guiding over the years for turkey hunts, and he and I were having a conversation one day, and we were talking about outdoor riders and how so many outdoor riders are riders and kind of second to that, they're outdoors people. Many of them would have a hard time finding their way out of a neighborhood park to safety before dark, much less be able to go into the woods by themselves and kill a deer or turkey. I may not be very popular for saying that, but it's true. So my friend and I were having a conversation about outdoors riders and I asked him because he had hunted with a bunch of outdoor riders at this hunting lodge that he was working at. And that's a very common practice for hunting lodges is to bring in outdoor riders, entertain them, let them hunt, and ask them to write an article about the experience. It gives the hunting lodge more exposure for that article to be written and published in a magazine. So we were chatting and I asked my friend, I said, out of all of the outdoors riders that you hunted with, who was the best hunter out of that whole group? Without hesitation, he said, Wayne Fears. And that to me says a lot about someone. Wayne is very knowledgeable about hunting. He is very knowledgeable about shooting. And on top of that, he is a fantastic writer as well. I highly recommend that when you run across any of his writings in a magazine, you take the time to read it. And also, you may want to look at his selection of books that he has on his website. And if there's anything there that interests you at all, I recommend it. He's an excellent writer. So, without further ado, let's get into today's interview with Jay Wayne Fears, and I will see you guys on the other side. Hey everybody, I am real excited to tell you that I've got somebody on the call with us tonight that's going to talk to us about several of my favorite things, and that's turkey hunting, guns, and shooting. And I want to welcome Jay Wayne Fears on the call with us. Wayne, how are you today? Doing great, Andy. Good deal. And where are you? Right now I'm sitting in my office at the base of Tater Knob Mountain up in North Alabama, right on Tennessee line. Good deal. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on and talk to us about shooting and mainly shooting those turkey shotguns that can be a, a beast to shoot sometimes. But 
especially when we're shooting them at paper. But I appreciate you taking time out to do that. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into turkey hunting. I was born into turkey hunting, Andy. I've never known anything but turkey hunting. Where I grew up, up here in North Alabama, all my family were turkey hunters. And learning to work different kind of calls and things like that was a part of growing up. And by the time you were eight or nine years old, you couldn't work a box call pretty good. You were considered inferior. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that it's just it's been something I've done all my life. So it's not like I got grown and decided one day I want to be a turkey hunter. It's just yeah. been part of what I've done growing up and then as being a biologist working with turkeys and, and as a writer writing about turkey hunting turkeys all over. So just part of my life. Yeah. And you and I spoke earlier, I actually met you, we're not going to say how many years ago it was, because it might age us both probably more than we want to be aged, but I met you several years ago, you, I think, have brought a book over to my dad, or maybe he'd given you one of his books or something, but you guys were involved in Safari Club together at the time, and so I actually met you then, it's been a lot of years ago, but just recall that brief meeting and my dad telling me how good of a guy you are, and then I've got a couple of friends that have been fortunate enough to hunt with you and talk about the difference in you and a lot of other outdoor riders. And the difference is, well, I kind of hate to say it out loud because notice I said a lot of other. I didn't say all the other. <laughs> but there are a lot of outdoor riders out there that just don't know enough about hunting to be writing about it. But well, I was you, blessed, you know, out, the outdoors has been my profession. You know, I've got it. I've worked as an outfitter. I've worked as a biologist. And I've done a little bit of all of it, especially working as a guide for a lot of turkey seasons when I was in the hunting business. I saw a lot of gobblers die. And I've seen a lot of gobblers miss. And right. um, it just, it's a subject that I've always been fascinated with. And I don't know how many turkeys I killed. I don't even want to try to guess. But I still get just as excited over a gobbler coming in early in the morning as I did first time I ever went. So, you know, it's yeah. a passion of mine. I enjoy it. And I've really done it for over a half a century now. Well, I think that that passion and that excitement lives in all of us as we, once a turkey gets in your blood, it just, I don't think it ever comes out. So, but I've got something that I've been doing here over the past several weeks it's, that is just a rapid fire question and answer where I have a list of about 30 questions that I'll ask you. And they range, they really pretty much cover the gamut of turkey hunting. And what I've been doing is asking those 30 questions as quick as I can, getting my guests to answer the questions as quickly as they can, and then I time them. <laughs> and if you want to play along, I would love to go through and see what we can do with these. Let's give it a try. I may not know all the answers, but hey, let's try. I think you'll, I think you'll know them. I think you will. All right. So I'm starting. As soon as I start the first question, I'm starting the clock. Okay. All right. How many full-body turkey mounts do you own? Five. How many turkeys did you kill last year? Eight. Diaphragm, box, pot and peg, or wing bone? Diaphragm. Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried? Fried. Wild turkey, on the rocks, neat, with cola, or with water? On the rocks. Number of grand slams? Six. Make of your shotgun? Thompson Center. Make of your favorite shotgun turkey shell? Federal premium. Two and three quarter inch, three inch, or three and a half inch? Three inch. Four, five, six, or blended? Sevens. All right. Have you ever killed a bearded hen? Yes. The last time, or have you ever killed a Jake? Yes. All right. A 10-minute successful hunt on a two-year-old turkey or a four-hour long hunt with a clean miss on a four-year-old? The short hunt. All right. Favorite camo pattern? Good question. Four <laughs> <Where would> <laughs> There you go. 
Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? Dinner. More or less than five strikers in your turkey vest? Three. If there's 30 mile per hour winds blowing at home the last day of turkey season, are you hunting or sleeping in? I'm in a hollow somewhere. There you go. State you killed your first turkey in. Say that again. The state you killed your first turkey Alabama. in. Alabama. State you killed your last turkey in. Alabama. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for for one hour and not shoot? Run and gun. Rios or Osceolas? Osceolas. Osceolas or Easterns? Eastern. Easterns or Merriams? Eastern. Public land out west or private land in the southeast? Private land southeast. Field turkeys or woods turkeys? Woods turkeys. Pump or automatic? Finger shot. Yeah, I was going to say it's neither for you. Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight, or beads? Use them all. All right. Rubber boots, leather boots, or snake boots? Leather boots. You roost a bird this afternoon and it's pouring rain at daylight. Do you hunt in the morning? Preferably after lunch. Your favorite place ever hunted? Good question. That's a tough one. Ah, <laughs> Missouri. Northeast All right. Missouri. Good deal. That was 30 questions asked and answered in three minutes and one second, which is almost three and a half seconds faster than our previous record holder, who's Corey New with Combat in the Wild and the Turkeyologists. So... That was good. That was a good question, too, I'm telling you. Well, I think they're pretty good because it gives people a chance to get to know you by answering questions. That they'd probably ask you if they just sat down and had a drink with you or sitting down with you at the camp after a hunt, that kind of thing. So I, I like doing that segment. I think it's a lot of fun, but I'm glad you played along with me. Yeah, that was fun. Well, let's get into this and talk some hunting. I know you've got a another call that you've got to take after we get through, so we, we want to spend as much time talking hunting as we can. Before every season, like any good hunter should do, I'm grabbing my turkey shotgun with the choke in it and my favorite turkey shells, and I'm going to the range to pattern my gun. Can you kind of walk me through the process of patterning my gun yeah, with the it, choke and the shells? Yeah, this is probably one of the most important things I think a turkey hunter can do, and unfortunately, not enough of them do it. And that's been a Saturday on a pattern board range and shooting their favorite turkey gun, the load they're planning on using, the tube they're planning on using, and really getting to know that gun the way that they should. I think first step is to shoot, plan on shooting from a solid rest. Now, mm -hmm. there's a lot of punishment in patterning a, a turkey gun using turkey load, so I, I use myself a lead sled so that it absorbs right. all that recoil. And I do all my patterning from a rifle rest that's mounted in concrete. I want as solid a rest as I can get. The next thing you want is to use really good targets that were designed for patterning a turkey gun. And you're going to start off shooting at 40 yards. And I like to use a 40-yard target. I use ones made by Red Star. They call it shotgun special target. And the mm -hmm. first thing I'm looking for is I want to make sure that that shotgun at 40 yards is shooting point of aim. As a shotgun, just like any other, like a rifle, it, and especially shotguns that's got scopes or got red dots on them or whatever, mm -hmm. rifle sights on them, whatever kind of aiming device you have on it. Most turkey hunters do have some type of aim device. You've got you to set that thing. They can get, it can get knocked off during the off season. A lot of things can happen. So first of all, you're shooting 
at a large target at 40 yards to make sure that your own that your the mass center mass of your pattern is at point of aim. And if it's not, you got to sit there and adjust it. May take three or four shot shells to adjust it. Then you want to switch over to a life-size head neck target. And what I'm looking for there, I want a pattern that will put anywhere from 12 to 20 pellets in the nervous central nervous system of that head neck, in the, in the skull or in the spinal column, the neck column. And if, it, if it's not doing that, then you've got to make some final adjustments there. I'm also looking on both sides of that central nervous system. And I may have 15, 20, sometimes 30 pellets in that head neck, but I want to make sure that there's enough pellets on both the right and left side of it. So if I'm shaking a little bit, if I pull it just a little bit, I still got a dense enough pattern there that I'm going to put that turkey down. And we learned a long time ago it takes 2.6 foot-pounds of energy for one pellet to kill a turkey. So all you got to do is get one pellet in there that's carrying that kind of downrange energy. But we all know how difficult it is to put tur- turkeys down to stay down. And I want a lot of pellets in there. The next thing I want to do is I want to shoot at 30 yards, and I want to shoot at 20 yards. And I want to make sure that I understand just how tight that pattern is at, say, 20 yards, and I know what kind of sight picture it takes. I've seen an awful lot of gobblers miss at 20, 25 yards. Mm-hmm. And you've got to know how tight your pattern is and where you've got a hole and how steady have you got to be to make that 20-yard shot. The other thing I want to look at is I want to shoot a few shots off of that steady rest from whatever position I'm probably going to be in when I'm turkey hunting. If I'm shooting in a sitting position and using my knee as a rest, I'm going to take two or three shots like that and see how well I do. If I use a cross sticks or a bipod or whatever, I want to try those. All this time I'm looking for holes. If there are any holes in that pattern, then the, the, after I've made all my sight corrections and everything, I start trying to figure out how to fix a holes and sometimes it may mean you've got to change the choke tube you're using you may need to change the shot size you're shooting you can change the brand of shot shells all these things are going to influence it so that's a brief 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 description that's what i look for when i go out and i spend a day on a pattern board range right yeah i kind of got taught my lesson on that the hard way in what was it about 10 years ago that remington was making the heavy shot or maybe not making them, but marketing the heavy shot brand. Mm -hmm. And then when they got their, I'm going to use the term divorce, when they had their divorce and heavy shots started making their own shots, I started shooting the heavy shots. That year I missed eight turkeys and killed eight turkeys. And what I realized is the shell that Remington was making was shooting a little bit low and left in my gun. The shell that Heavy Shot was making was shooting a foot high and a foot right. And I knew that I'm game to miss a turkey a season, maybe two, on my own, just my own doing. I knew that I was not the cause of missing eight turkeys. That's a lot of misses. That's a lot of misses, and that'll hurt your pride. I had a lot of fun that year chasing turkeys but and, and had a lot of close encounters with turkeys, but you don't want to miss eight, and and that taught me a lesson that just because you're shooting a scatter gun, you're shooting a shotgun, you don't need to take for granted that one of those pellets is going to find its target. You know, we need to have more respect for the animal and for ourselves as well. Yeah. We take all that time and spend all that money to get there and do it, and dang it, we ought to be doing it right. Well, when I was in the hunting business, I saw an awful lot of hunters that would come in into camp 
and somebody in there would have the latest whoopty do load, whatever it might be, and you'd, you'd see one of the guys who's never shot this load before in his gun at all. First thing you know, they're trading shot shells back and forth, mm-hmm. and they expect me to go out with the next morning call a gobbler, and hopefully they can kill it. And I've seen a lot of people miss it. When you change that load, you change everything. And especially exactly. with this, these new heavy shot loads and a lot of the, these uh, new shot wads that we're using today that have made these shotguns so great, you go to change it and you better spend some time on a pattern board because like you were talking about, this thing, your, your turkey gun, which is always shot dead on and always killed every turkey you ever shot at, may suddenly be shooting a foot low and a foot left. Mm-hmm. And you you'll never know that unless you spend time shooting these pattern targets. Exactly right. Well, you mentioned when we were talking about going to the range to shoot our shotguns. You mentioned that it's not a lot of fun to do because of the recoil, take a beating shooting those guns. But the three and a half inch Magnum turkey shells seem to be pretty brutal to shoot. For those of us that want to shoot those longer shells with more pellets while we're turkey hunting, what are some of the things that we can do to minimize the recoil of those shells? Well, I don't shoot a three and a half inch. I haven't for many years. When they first came out, I played around with them. But you basically, mm-hmm. you got the same recoil as a 458 elephant gun. So you mm-hmm. got a lot of recoil there. First thing that I generally recommend when people call me and they're crying about how much that three and a half inch is beating up <laughs> is first of all, get your shotgun that tames a lot of that recoil. And I've, I've worked a lot with Benelli, for instance, on the Vinci. Now, the Vinci takes an awful lot of the recoil out of it, just by the design of it. It's a great mm-hmm. shotgun. So you start off with right shotgun. Then uh, you want to make sure you got the best recoil pad you can put on there. I've got a busted shoulder that I busted riding ATVs like it, and I have to be, I'm extremely sensitive to recoil. So I use a limb saver recoil pad, for instance. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to take as much of that recoil out of whatever I shoot. Uh, so you, there are a lot of uh, recoil pads out there now that are space-age designs that take a lot of the recoil out. But the other thing is proper shouldering. Uh, the hardest I've ever been kicked by shotgun turkey hunting was one of the very first all-stars that ever came out. And I was hunting with Bill Jordan over at Callaway Garden. Bill was doing the call and I was doing the shooting. And we were using one of Mossberg's prototypes. And it took the turkey probably an hour to get within shooting range. During that hour, I had slumped down this oak tree I was up against. Mm-hmm. And that three and a half inch magnum had shifted down on my shoulder. And when it came time to shoot, instead of being ready, being in a good shooting position, I was in a horrible position. And when I touched it off, I didn't know if I hit turkey or what. It crossed both. And when Bill went running by me, I told him, I don't know if I hit it or not. Well, fortunately, I killed the turkey, but I've never been kicked that hard by shotgun ever. So, right. and that was just because of a horrible position I got myself into and didn't have enough sense to set up as the turkey was coming in when I could set up and get in a good shooting position. So mm-hmm. it's a combination of things. you got to have a, a turkey gun that takes some of that recoil out. You need a good recoil pad on there, and you need to be in a good solid shooting position. And it's still going to kick you. Right. And fortunately, they seem to kick about half as hard when you're hunting as they do it when you're at the range shooting them. So, yeah. <laughs> it's like that, they don't make half, half the noise when you're hunting. That, that, that's right. That's, that's right. That adrenaline's an amazing thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Before this past turkey season, I switched the recoil pad on my gun. I shoot a Browning shotgun, Gold Hunter, and I put one of the limb savers on there. And I actually did that after reading an article that you had written talking about how much it minimized or reduced the recoil of shotguns and so it really does make a huge difference and I did it primarily because 
I want to be able to stay on my target as much as I can after I shoot because I don't ever know when I'm going to have to shoot again. I need to see what's happened after I shoot. And yes, I still get rocked up and back when I shoot, even with that limb saver. But it's nothing like it was shooting the factory recoil pad on that shotgun. It has really made a difference in the recoil that is felt when I shoot. So I recommend those limb savers, and I know they're not the only one out there. but Yeah, there are several out there that are really good. It's, limb saver just happens to be the one that I use. And I went to it after I busted a shoulder. I, I broke a shoulder in seven places, and I have to be extremely careful about recoil. Also, I've had torn retinas because of recoil. Just so many mm-hmm. years of shooting heavy recoil guns, it's just ruined my eyes almost. But a recoil pad, it's got the gel centers. There's a lot of them out there. I, I don't remember all the names. But something like a limb saver can make a huge difference. And I can really tell it since I'm so sensitive to recoil. And right. uh, since I've gone that direction, I've not had too much of a problem. Yeah. And I do recall that in the article that you wrote about the torn retinas. Yeah. It, most of the gun writers, the older gun writers, it doesn't happen to you until you get up in your late 60s or so. But most of the old gun writers all have had torn retinas or detached retinas. And that's just from years and years and years of being pounded, not only by turkey load, slug load, but with rifles, centerfire rifles and things like that. So it's just the price we pay for our profession. Yeah. Believe me, I take recoil out of rifles and shotguns as much as I possibly can. Right. I think it's important. It helps to minimize the flinch as well. If you know that you're going to be kicked when you get ready to squeeze it that does. trigger. It makes your, your marksmanship become better. When it does. Beg pardon? No, I was agreeing with you yeah. 100%. Yeah. You know, years ago, people were hunting with 20-gauge shotguns, but they were not a great option for turkey hunting. Is that still the case today? No, I hunt strictly with a 20-gauge half. Since they improved the shot shells as much as they have, and the choke tubes have gotten to be just fantastic. Once I started having these recoil problems with the eyes and this bad shoulder, I went to a 20-gauge. Now, I've got a lot of experience with 20-gauge. First turkey I ever killed, I was six or eight years old. I went along and I killed with a side-by-side Lefevre 20-gauge, mm-hmm. which was a full and modified choke. And you had to let turkey get about 15 yards out there before you could kill it. So, right. you, you know, I started off with very, very short-range 20-gauge. But now, with with these 20-gauge shotguns we've got today, with these tremendous loads that we've got, and with, with the choke tube that, that match all of this together, I don't have any problem at all killing turkey at 40 yards or so. I don't advocate shooting at them much further than that because I think fun is calling the turkey fairly close. But I have witnessed some 20-gauge shots that were far beyond 40 yards. I don't advocate that, but it, these, these shots, shells today that we have, they take that 2.6 foot-pounds of energy a long way beyond 40 yards. Mm-hmm. And with this, where you can shoot, and I'm talking about with number seven shot, and where you've got an ounce and a half, or yeah, ounce and a half of, say, number seven shot, of this extra hard shot, tungsten based uh, hard shot, you've got almost as many pellets as you have in a number five lead load 12 gauge. So right. you've got 20 gauge today, and a hands of guy is practiced with it a little bit is deadly. And that's all I've used probably for six, eight, maybe 10 years now. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who lives in North Carolina that bought him a 20 gauge to turkey hunt with after a lot of years of shooting a 12 gauge and he still has his 12 gauge but he bought him a 20 gauge and has been shooting those tungsten steel shot loads in there and i think he's shooting i believe their number 
They're number sevens or number eights, and he sent me a picture of the pattern board that he shot with that thing at 40 yards, and I was completely blown away at how well that gun shot, and, and to be a 20-gauge and the number of pellets in a 10-inch circle was just crazy with very few gaps at all. So. Oh, yeah, it, it looks like, what we, you know, the patterns you see today with the 20-gauge look like the ideal pattern with the 12-gauge 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. They really do the job. They really reach out and touch them. And, you know, I've not had any problems at all. I, I've missed a couple of turkeys with 20-gauge, but it had nothing to do with the load or anything. It's just me getting excited, dropping that, that stock down. Right. And uh, so, but every turkey I get with those 20 gauge loads, those things go down. When you go over there standing, when you put on, turkey really dead. Mm-hmm. Well, you brought up something just a second ago that I want to talk about a little bit more. And like I said a little bit earlier in the call, I am not ashamed to tell when I miss a turkey for a couple of reasons. Some people like to brag and say, well, I've never missed a turkey. Well, you never have turkey hunted very much. They had turkey hunted very much. My dad told me, if you shoot, eventually you're going to miss. And I want to be shooting. So if I'm shooting, then at some point in time, I'm going to miss. And I'm not ashamed of that. And the other reason that I'm not ashamed of it is it means that I got up close and personal enough with a turkey to actually take that shot. But it sure is hard to eat those things when you're not toting them back in your vest. <laughs> That's true. And it makes you feel bad. I, you know, I've never... It does. I, I look back and I've missed a lot of turkeys. You know, every turkey I ever missed made me feel real bad. And I had to get oh, over yeah. it. I had to go and put on my big boy bridges and get over it and go do it again. And then hopefully oh, yeah. what the next one I shot at. That's right. But I've shot... The ones... I've missed on camera when we were doing television shows. Uh, I was at a lodge one time years ago when the president, vice president of Winchester was standing on a back porch on a high bluff where they were looking right down where I was turkey hunting. And I was hunting with one of their newest loads that time and mm-hmm. missed the bird. And with them watching and need to say dinner was miserable that night. <laughs> so uh, I, missed, I missed turkeys under all kind of conditions. It happens. You turkey hunt a lot. It's going to happen, and it's not a matter of if, it's just when. That's right. That's right. Well, I know there's too many reasons to talk about why we miss when we're shooting at wild animals, but what are four or five reasons why we miss turkeys in the woods, and how how can we minimize or eliminate the reasons for those misses? The first and foremost reason I've seen, and I'm thinking now all the years I guided, I've seen so many people, and a lot of them are pretty well-known outdoorsmen. I won't use names, but I could name some mm-hmm. that, that everybody listening to your podcast would probably know. I've seen these guys miss turkeys because, number one, they get excited. I've seen guys that kill lions, tigers, and everything else who could keep their cool at charging grizzlies. I've seen them shoot. I could hear their heart beat when, because I usually put, when I'm guiding, I put a guy in my lap. He's literally sitting there. So I'm looking the same thing he's looking at, and I can whisper to him without scaring Gobbler off. So I've seen guys shake so bad that these are people with a tremendous amount of hunting experience. So I'm glad that it excites them that much. But in the process of a turkey coming in, sometimes it takes a long time to get them in there, and them being excited, first thing they do is they start dropping that thought. And this is, I really saw this happen a lot before we started using so many scope sites on shotguns and rifle sites. Mm-hmm. And when they had just a bead out there, they put the bead on the turkey's head at 35, 40 yards. And that stock is almost under their armpit by now. And then when they shot, they shot about 10 feet over the turkey's head. Mm-hmm. I've seen that more times than I could count. But I've seen guys with scopes on their shotguns that just forget all about putting the crosshairs where they should be. They get so excited. But one of the main ways to correct that is, is to have a sighting device and to have the composure to tell yourself to get a good sight picture before you start squeezing the trigger. 
But it's a two-point factor there. you got people that are excited. Like I say, I kill a lot of turkeys, but I still get excited. I have right. to talk myself into calming down, talk myself into getting a good sight picture, whatever kind of sight I'm using. And that generally works. Mm-hmm. Are there any other reasons, that primary reasons that you've seen people miss? Yeah, fatigue. I've seen a lot of people who... Didn't use their, you sit there for an hour, two hours. You finally got a mm-hmm. bird coming in. And a guy that has been fishing in that last 20, 30 minutes on bird just over the hill, you know he's 45 yards out. All he's got to do is take one more step and fatigue sets in. And when the bird steps up, then they just snap off a shot and their arms are completely worn out. I've seen that a lot right. of times. And I've had it happen to me, especially back many, many years ago when, oh Lord, this is a long time ago when Ben Lee and I first started hunting together. The Ithaca Mag 10 was the turkey gun, 32-inch barrel, weighed 12 mm-hmm. pounds, loaded. <laughs> and you get a bird slow to come in, and it takes forever to get him in there, and you holding that thing up. Finally, when he gets there, you're exhausted. You just you shoot, get get it over with. Right. And that's terrible. I miss some good gobblers, you know, just because of that. Now that's something that you're right. I think we've all experienced, but we don't really talk about a whole lot. It doesn't happen too terribly often, or we hope it doesn't happen a whole lot. But yeah, I've had that happen where you know I didn't have an opportunity to have a rest, either put the gun on my knee or what it was, and I've had to stand there and hold that gun and. Even a six pound or seven pound twenty gauge will wear on you oh, after yeah. about fifteen you minutes to hold that. Weight out front of you long enough, it's going to tell on. Mm-hmm. No doubt. I, I haven't thought about that, but you're right. Well, tell us the story of your most recent successful hunt and the one or two things that made that hunt a success. The last turkey I killed last year was not far from where I live, and it goes back to one of the past questions you asked me a while ago on those 30 questions. Mm-hmm. It was one of these typical mornings, the season was about over with. I feel they had one more tag field. Wind's blowing. It had been raining that night. We were going like crazy. Most mornings just won't turn the clock off, go back to bed. Right. The wind lays down and then go out after lunch on time. But I couldn't go after lunch that day. So I decided I'd try to get something gobbled. And the birds weren't gobbling good at all. It seemed to be the, the whole situation around here last year. Right. So I get out there. It's an hour after daylight. I've done everything I know to make a gobbler gobble, and I ain't heard a word. And I decided, well, the hens are going to be down out of the wind down in these bottoms. So I just found me a hole, got down in the hole, set up, and went doing some loud yelping. I just thought, well, if I call hens in, there's a good chance gobblers are within. And maybe I can get one of these silent gobblers follow the hens in. Mm-hmm. And I did some of the loudest yelping I think I've ever done. And it took a while, but finally I, I got a hen to yell back at me. And I could see them. They were down in the same hole I was down in. And eventually they came around, and there was a big gobbler following them. He wasn't gobbling. He was strutting. He was going to pull the strut all the time. Right. And I kept working the hens and got the hens to where literally I had hens all around me where I didn't dare make any noise. The gobbler kept hanging back, and I, I let the hens ease off. I, did, I was real quiet. I let the hens ease off, and they'd go almost out of sight. I'd call them back. He'd follow them back around, but he never would get where I needed him to be. And it was on the third try working those hens and getting the hens back around me that he finally closed the distance away to get within the range I needed. And I took the bird. And it was strictly the, the reason that I was successful at one. Number one, I knew the terrain I was in. I knew where these hollows were that I could get in the wind blowing up above me. And it's fairly quiet down there. The other thing is I knew I could call hens. If hens could hear me, if I could do enough loud, sweet yelping, those hens were going to just come over here and try to get me to join their flock. 
And that late in the season, I was betting that if every four or five yens gathered, there was going to be a gobbler somewhere close by. Right. So all of that worked for me. And then the other thing was as the yens would disappear, I knew they would come back as long as they didn't think I was a person. They thought there was a hen and didn't have a decoy out or anything. And mm. if I kept working the hens, didn't figure them, that gobbler sooner or later was going to get inside 40 yards and it took three tries. So that was my last gobbler last year. And it's just one of those things. Try everything you know and hopefully it works. Right. Yeah, that was one of those situations. If I'd been in another state somewhere where some somebody just dropped me out of a truck somewhere, I, I wouldn't have had a clue where to go. Mm-hmm. You know, I did know, you know, being close to home like that, I knew where the low place were where the wind wouldn't get down in there, and that made a big difference. But I always consider successful turkey hunting under any circumstance. Tip number one is woodsmanship. You know, the better woodsman you are, the, the better turkey hunter you're going to be. And the next thing is experience. You got, the more experience you got, the more you know how to handle all these different situations. I only consider calling turkey about 10% of it. The rest of it is all these other facts. And luck plays some, somewhat of a factor in these two. I've done all these same things when it just flat didn't work. And, uh, True indeed. Something that uh, I think is critical, and that is patience. If you're going to be a good turkey hunter, and I'm not a patient person, you, you know, you got to push your patience to the limit, but it pays off. I cannot right. count how many gobblers that just things didn't work right when he's gobbling his brains out first thing in the morning. And then up 12, 1 o'clock, sometimes 3 o'clock in the afternoon, on those days where you can hunt in the afternoon. So you get the same bird, everything works out like it should. It's a long yeah. day, it takes up a lot of patience, it, it'll pay off. Very true. Well, can you give us an update on what you have going on in, in your world right now? And if you've got anything that, any books or anything that you want to plug that might help us take another turkey or two, or maybe teach us a little something about shotguns and chokes and shells and that kind of stuff? Well, you know, Ed, I always got new, new books on the horizon all the time, and I've always got one or two that just came out. You know, I, I'm working on a lot of books right now. I do more books now than I do anything else. And mm-hmm. so, now, I, you know, the thing to do is just go to www.jwaynefears.com, and they're all in there. You can see what all I'm getting into and what I've just finished, and my turkey book and the cooking books, you know, all the other books are up there. Now, it's just fun to knock these books out. I'm still right for a lot of magazines, of course, Turkey Country being one of the major ones. Right. So uh, now anybody wants to keep up with what I'm doing is just go to jwaynefears.com and it's there. Well, we really just scratched the surface on shooting and hunting, patterning, and all that kind of stuff. I'd like to get you on sometime in the not-too-distant future to talk about some of these choke restrictions and these new shot loads that are out there and the shot materials and that kind of thing. If, if you've got interest in doing that, I'd love to get you on, and maybe we'll get just a little bit more technical. Yeah, I would dig- enjoy that very much, especially since we've got all this hard shot now that's out there. And and what's happening and what we'll talk about next time is on these uh, choke tubes, a lot of them now we're opening up instead of getting tighter. Right. It's, a, it's a different way of thinking for turkey hunters, and as they go about selecting choke tubes, you've got to think about what kind of shots you're using, and if you're going to use this extra hard shot, and especially if you're going to use some of the new wadding, such as flight control that Federal has, and you've got to have choke tubes that can handle those situations. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd love to visit with you again, and we'll get into some specifics, and it makes for some interesting conversation. It does. There's a lot of science that goes into it, but it's really fascinating, and for somebody like me that's a gun nut, 
nut and a shooting nut. I love talking about that stuff and can really get into that, but it's so practical for what we do in the turkey woods, and I think a lot of people can really benefit by digging down deeper and really getting an understanding of what it is that they are carrying on their shoulder when they go into the woods and what it's capable of and what they might be shocked to find out that they can get out of that gun if they make a few tweaks here and there. Exactly, exactly. I look forward to visiting with you whenever you want. Well, that sounds great. Well, then I'll touch base with you in a couple of weeks, and we'll see if we can get something set up for maybe next month to to do that and talk about a little bit more about that. And I certainly do appreciate your time today in going over these things with us. I think even though, like I said, we scratched the surface on it, I think there's still a lot of information that you gave that even us experienced hunters and shooters can really put to use and help make us a little bit better when we get out in the woods this fall or or the coming spring. So I I greatly appreciate that, Wayne. Well, I've enjoyed being on here with you, Andy, and any time that I can visit with you, I'm looking forward to it. Well, thank you much. Well, I hope you have a wonderful afternoon, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you, Wayne. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Wayne. And I am looking forward to getting Wayne back on the show to really dig in about today's high-tech turkey loads, high-tech turkey chokes, and high-tech turkey shotguns. We are very fortunate today to be living in a time when technology has brought the level of hunting and shooting to an unprecedented level. And the amount of time and money that these companies are spending to make their products bigger, better, and faster than anything before has really helped to revolutionize hunting for us and open up a lot more opportunities for us. So I'm looking forward to getting Wayne back on the show to talk about those things. That's all for this week's show, guys. I look forward to talking to you guys next week with an alligator story. I know that you have choices and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.